Well, good morning. He is risen. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 43 in our time together this morning. I thought I might start with a quiz. Don't worry, you're not going to hand anything in. How many of you are familiar with the following individuals? Judas, son of Hezekiah, 4 BC. Athron Gaze, 4 BC. Judas the Galilean, 6 AD. Simon Bar Giora, 70 AD. Lucas of Cyrene, 115 AD. And Simon ben Kosiba, 135 AD. Now, when I gave this quiz in the first hour, one person raised their hand. My guess is you, ha you don't have a clue who I'm talking about. And frankly, if you're not a historian reading into this stuff, you wouldn't know, but all of these individuals are would-be messiahs. They had a great following of people around them. They were going to redeem Israel. They were going to turn back the Romans. And in every case, they were put down and killed. And the followers either looked for another Messiah or became agnostic. Another name. Have you ever heard the name Jesus the Nazarene? We've all heard his name. Why? Is it because both Pilate, the Roman governor at the time, and a Roman centurion at the cross looked at him and they both recognized that his death was undeserved and he was innocent? Is that why we remember him today? It's true. But it strikes me that there's more to it than that. Is it because when he died, rather than throwing his body into a shallow grave, a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews, by the name of Joseph, at great risk to his own reputation, went and asked of Pilate his body so he could put it in his own tomb? Is that why we remember Jesus today? No, but I'm really glad that happened. It was really, really, really quite important and it tells you about great sacrifice. Is it because committed women who stood at a distance and watched where he was buried decided because Sabbath was coming there on Friday night that they would wait to anoint his body till Sunday morning? Because even though he was dead, they wanted to honor him. Is that why we remember him today? All of those things are wonderful things. All of those things happened. But it is Luke 24 that tells us why we remember Jesus today. Messiah's dying was a very, very common thing. But a Messiah rising from the grave? 
Nobody was expecting that. You know what you're going to find? When you come to Luke 24, you know who the greatest skeptics are of the resurrection? It is his own disciples. And I want you to watch this, because this is what's going to happen. Three movements in this passage. But in, in, in the first movement, we're going to begin with women at a tomb who ultimately are going to come and carry a message to a group of 11 disciples, with the 11 apostles with other disciples. That's the first movement. In the second movement of Luke 24, we're going to visit with two disciples who are traveling back to a place called Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. We're going to have an encounter with Jesus. And they too, by the end, are going to come back and meet with the 11 apostles and those disciples with them. And then finally, in the last movement, Jesus himself will show up with those disciples. So follow me through these movements and watch how Jesus transforms his own. First movement takes place at the tomb. Chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, please, this is like really important. We know where the story goes. They don't know where the story goes. When they came to the tomb, they thought, Jesus is dead. We love Jesus. And we want to do this in honor of Jesus. And then perhaps for a while, we'll remember Jesus. But that's it. They come in verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in a setting where you feel kind of disoriented? Like, what? It's not surreal. So they come in. First of all, this huge stone has been rolled back, and they walk in, and what? Like, there's, there's linen there, but there's no Jesus. There's no body. Like, what, what's going on? You can see how you would feel. Just about that time, look at what happens in verse 4. And it happened that while they were perplexed, they were about this. They couldn't put it together. Behold, two men, two angels, if you will, suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. What would that be like? You go on and say, what body? People, what, did, is there something? Did they move us to another tomb? Like, what's going on? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, two bright, shining men. Like, what? And as the women were just terrified, verse 5, and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, uh, why do you seek the living one among the dead? <laughs> and they're probably just going like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, they're, they're reeling, right? They're trying to take all this in. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified 
and the third day rise again. Go back to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 18. And again, Jesus will go by point by point and say, look, I'm going to suffer. And then I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be buried. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. You guys got it? And uh-huh. That's not how we think a Messiah is supposed to do all this. But uh-huh. It just kind of went over them, didn't it? And the angel looks at them again and said, do you remember what he said? And in that moment... Look at what happens in verse 8. And they remembered his words. It was like in that moment, you're kidding. That, that's how this all comes together. And so what do they do? As quickly as they can, they make a beeline to the 11 apostles and the disciples with them. They returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, there was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And listen to the response in verse 11. Okay? They come, you can't believe what we, we saw back there. With it. You know, they're calling the whole thing. And these words appeared to the disciples as nonsense, and they would not believe them. So the women go through the whole story, and they look and they say, no way. <laughs> what? What? Come on, ladies, what are you, emotional or what? It's nonsense. I mean, these are Jesus' 11 disciples. These are the guys that are supposed to hit home runs for you. And they're going like, now one, Peter. Peter's thinking, i got to at least check this thing out. Right? you got to love Peter. So look at verse 12. Peter arose, ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. So what we know is Peter goes, checks it all out too, and he goes back to his house going like, wow, I don't know. But his hopes have been dashed once. He's careful not to have them dashed again. So that's the first movement. Two of the guys that were with the 11 apostles, had been with them apparently through Saturday and everything else like this. At, at this particular point, after hearing the women, they're saying, we're going home. We're traveling seven miles. It's going to take us a couple hours. We're going home. And they left. So they obviously weren't convinced. I mean, I would have thought, like, why don't you follow Peter to do the tomb? Nope. Going home. Okay. Look at what happens in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So by walking, it's going to take them a couple hours. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Isn't this an incredible story? So these guys are going back, 
not accepting it. And as they're going back, hey, what would you think about that? That was really something else. Or were those women? Yeah, you can't trust women, you know? I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't know, but, but whatever. It's been three days, and you know what? We have a plan. The way he was supposed to redeem Israel was he was supposed to overcome those Romans and all that stuff. I don't know. What do you... Hello? Yeah, you can... Yeah, you can join us. We're just... We're going down to Emmaus. It's going to be a couple hours, but sure, you can come with us. So Jesus... Begins walking with them. And notice what happens. Verse 17. But their eyes are prevented. God has not opened their eyes yet to this, has he? Verse 17. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. Have you ever been walking along talking to somebody and somebody says something that you think is almost ridiculous and you just kind of stop? And you're like... And that, that's what they do. They're going along. He says, so what you guys talking about? They stood still. They're sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Like, what are you, clueless? And he said to them, what things? Ugh. I don't know, they probably rolled their eyes or whatever you do at that point. And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they just recount the whole story. You don't know what happened. There was this great prophet, Jesus. I mean, you should have seen his miracles. When he spoke, he didn't speak like a man. It was incredible. And they killed him. And you know what happens when you kill a Messiah? There's no more chance for redemption. You have to look for another Messiah because Messiahs that die are failures. Uh, a couple women said angels appeared to them and that his body was gone, but we don't know what to make of that whole thing. We had some guys check it out. Whatever. Do you see? I mean, look, these are his people and they're the greatest skeptics following the resurrection. I mean, come on. They're going home. Look at what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things 
and then to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Can you imagine what that must have been like? So they're sitting there going like, whatever. And Jesus takes control, doesn't he? Why won't you believe? The death is not the sign of failure. It is the sign of fulfillment. And if you go back and you start in the book of Genesis and you read your way through your Old Testament, your scriptures, you will find that Messiah must die. And Messiah must resurrect. And Messiah will be glorified and exalted. And we might add, and Messiah will come back one day. And Jesus took them through this history lesson, which I wish, Luke, if he would have checked with me, I would have said, Luke, why don't you add another 25 to 30 verses and share it with us? Wouldn't you love that? And here's my picture. My picture is they're on their way to Emmaus, seven miles away. They've met Jesus. And once Jesus starts talking, man, before you know it, they're there. They're in Emmaus. I mean, they've got this history lesson that, that, that could have gone on for two hours. And they're going like, holy mackerel. And notice what happens here in verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he would go further. And they urged him saying, uh, stay with us. For it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And, and it was probably around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, something like that, because anything after noon, you're winding down in the ancient world, okay? And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? They're in there and Jesus. Perhaps they were there when he fed the 5,000. We don't know these guys. We don't know exactly. Jesus is breaking this bread and he hands it to them. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, it's Jesus. And he disappears. <laughs> And now they have something to talk about that's productive. Look at what they say. Verse 32. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? I mean, that was the best expository message you've ever heard. And they're going like, we were just eating that thing up. It was so good. What do they do? They do the same thing that the women did, even though the trip's a little bit farther. They're seven miles away, and without thinking about it, they say, we have got to go back and tell the 11 that this is true, even though we were the ones sitting there before saying, uh-uh. And they hightailed it back. And one of my questions when I get to heaven, I want to ask them, how long did it take you to get back to Jerusalem? 
How long did it take you to get there and then back? I, I don't know. My guess is a little bit quicker. Okay. Anyway. They arose that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found gathered together the leaven with those who were with them. So, I mean, you got to love these guys. They're just hanging out together. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, you know, all that, whatever, whatever all goes on there. But something like that's going on. Saying to them, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. The other thing, we, we don't know exactly how this worked out exactly. But remember, Peter had gone to the tomb, right? And he went back kind of marveling. Sometime between that point when he marveled and when these guys got back, Jesus had also visited with Peter. So apparently Peter goes back to the 11 and says, hey guys, wow. And they're going like, Peter? And then all of a sudden, these two guys come in and say, wow, he's risen. Really? Just about that time, Jesus shows up. Look at verse 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. They're going, like, well, yeah, Peter. I mean, Peter's pretty, and the women, and Peter, and these guys. But they're not quite ready to believe yet, are they? Look at what they do. They were startled and frightened. I'll give them all that. And thought that they were seeing a spirit. Ah! It's the risen Lord. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. It's a ghost. <laughs> I mean, you know, how much do you need? The women come. Peter comes. The two disciples, I mean, hightail it back from Emmaus, seven miles. They're there, and they're still going like, okay, there's something here, but it must be something else. Then we ghost. That's what it is. It's a ghost. Look what Jesus does. He said to them, verse 38, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. What would they see in the hands and the feet? The wounds. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So he went over to them. He said, go ahead, look, look, touch, look, it's me. They couldn't deny it. And I love this next section. Jesus is going to show us the resurrected body. Jesus is not a ghost. And Jesus was not resuscitated because if he is resuscitated, he would die again. Correct? This was a resurrected body. Not less than physical, but more than physical. And to help these guys realize, this is who I am. I'm not a ghost, but I, there is a physical component. You have to love this next section. Because how do you think they're thinking when he says this? I, I love this. And, and while they still could not believe it for joy. And have you ever been like that? Like something really great happens? I was telling everybody last before. So I, I proposed to my wife, and she says, well, she's my girlfriend, obviously, fiance. It's, 
No, I guess she won't be my fiance. I, I, I proposed to her. She became my fiance. I proposed to her. I said, honey, will you marry me? And she said yes. And it was like, yes, I can't believe it. You ever do that? I can't believe it. She said yes, I can't believe it. These guys at this point are going like, yes, I can't believe it. There's joy. There's, I can't, yeah, but it's true, but wow. I mean, you know, all that stuff is kind of going through them at one point. While they still could not believe it for joy, and they were marveling. I mean, it, they're reeling trying to take all this in. Jesus says to them, hey, have you anything to eat? <laughs> this is what you're going to find this glorified body can eat. It's not a ghost. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. What do you do with that story? It's an incredible story. And as I thought about it, it strikes me that there's two themes that run through this story about the resurrection. The first one is this. The resurrection had to happen. It wasn't like Jesus died on the cross and God's going like, holy mackerel, what am I going to do now? Like, do we have like a plan B? Oh, yeah, let's, oh, let's do the resurrection thing. That'll work. Is that what happened? No, no, no. The resurrection had to happen. Because from eternity past, running right through the Old Testament itself, prophecy after prophecy, picture after picture, type after type, God continues to say what is absolutely necessary is that my son would come and die for the sins of the world. And what is absolutely necessary is that he would resurrect. Because if you have no resurrection, you can't trust the payments. I came in here today and I gave you a check from Doug Finkbeiner for $8,000. You might be happy, but you're also in some trouble when you try to cash that thing. <laughs> it will bounce. Because I don't have the funds for it. The payment doesn't work. Christ's payment on the cross did not bounce. The resurrection tells us it was accepted by the Father and there would be victory over sin and death. And Satan. And he was victorious. Do you see? And so from eternity past, the resurrection was not an afterthought. It was connected to his death. It had to happen. In Luke's gospel, when you come to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, from that point until he actually goes and dies, you will, repeat, you will read this statement repeated again and again and again. And he set his face to go to Jerusalem. A chapter or two later, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Another chapter, I mean, why? You know why? Because it had to happen. Jesus predicted it. Jesus lived it. Jesus moved toward it. God had talked about it and promised it. The resurrection had to happen or else God is a liar. You can never come to the Bible and say, Oh, I don't really believe about Jesus and the resurrection stuff, but he has a lot of really nice teaching. Nope, he's a liar if that's true. 
You might as well just take the whole thing and chuck it. But let God be true and every man a liar. Because God is truth. And what he planned from eternity past, prophesied, and Jesus talked about, had to happen. And you know what, folks? It did. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection before he was ascended. And there is evidence after evidence after evidence. Do you know, in the book of Acts, when they went to re replace the 12th apostle, you know what they did? They found candidates who had all known Jesus during his earthly ministry and could testify as eyewitnesses to his resurrection. You know why? Because our Christian faith is not based on some flowery, hope-so kind of up there kind of thing. Oh, no, no, no. It comes from the very promises and purposes of God himself. And God empirically allows one person after another person after another person after another person after another person to witness it and see it. And so eyewitnesses tell others who become earwitnesses of eyewitnesses, and they become, and then there's earwitnesses of earwitnesses of eyewitnesses, and you go down the line, and you go down far enough, you come to us. And we are earwitnesses of earwitnesses of earwitnesses of earwitnesses, dot, 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 of eyewitnesses. It's true, folks. The resurrection had to happen. And it did. And that changes everything. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are so happy you're here. We, ho we hope you come back again and again and again. I want you to know something. The resurrection is true. And if you allow God through his spirit to open up your eyes. Like those disciples, all of a sudden you're going to say, it wasn't a ghost. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It is the risen Lord. And I will bow down before him. I will ask him to forgive me of all my sins. I will become his forgiven follower. And I will live my life in light of the resurrection. There is nothing better you could do on Easter Sunday than that. Nothing, nothing. I mean, I hope you have a good meal too, but it can't compare. That's all that matters, folks. What will you do with Jesus? For the majority of those in this room, they say, Doug, I believe in the resurrection. Well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, after all. So I ask you, do you live like you believe the resurrection? Does it change the way you think? Does it change what you do? Does it change what you say? Because it should. It should change everything. Simon Ben Giora. Don't worry about him. 
Simon ben Kosipa. Judas, the Galilean. Judas, son of Hezekiah. It doesn't matter. They just would be messiahs. They won't make any difference in your life if you never hear their names again, which you're praying you won't. Jesus of Nazareth. Now he will change everything. Let's pray.